In today's episode of Small Talk, you're going to learn two key ways to take care of yourself. If you're a CEO, a team lead, a mom, or if you function in any kind of role in which you manage other people. This is self-care for CEOs, business executives, and people managers. Hi there. How are you doing today? Welcome to another episode of Small Talk with Kutu. I am your host, Kutu, and I hope this finds you well. I hope you and your loved ones are in great health and are safe. I'm always delighted to have you join me on Small Talk. Thank you. I do not take it for granted. Today's episode is going to be very you-focused. Often we talk about how we can contribute to the health of the planet, how to make your corner of the world better and how to better manage, you know, your finances, you know, business stuff. But to do all that, to do all that effectively, you have to be in top functional form. That's what we're focusing on today, that you cannot draw water from an empty well. We all know that. And you cannot give what you do not have. If you are drained of energy, you cannot give energy. The joy, patience, compassion, decisiveness, self-discipline, and commanding leadership you need to exhibit to make your work life and business run smoothly are going to come not from without, but from within, from within you. They are going to come from the internal joy, internal patience, internal compassion, internal self-discipline, internal decisiveness, and internal leadership that you have stored up within. So you need somewhere that you're drawing from. Specifically, I'm talking to business executives, team leads, CEOs, moms, community leaders. Generally, if you're in charge of managing people, this is for you. Why is this distinction? Why is this focus? Mainly because interaction with other human beings drain you. Yes, let me say that again. Interaction with other people drain you of your own energy. No, I'm not talking about energy vampires, so-called. I'm referring to the challenges of daily life that stem from managing the individuality of human beings. As a general rule of thumb, no one on this planet that has ever existed or will ever exist is like you, is exactly you. Yes, we're all human beings and have great similarities, but no two people are alike. Consequently, you cannot find one person on earth that will agree with you 100% all the time. They may, you know, agree with you in a few things. They may just, like, have similar ideas to you. But 100% all the time, no. They may be of the same philosophical bent as yours. They may believe in the same religious doctrine. You may agree on the economy, elections, sports, art, but you may differ on everything else. This difference in opinion and viewpoint that others have make up the incredibly beautiful carpet of life. You know, the multidiversity is our strength. But for managers, CEOs, and any other sort of leaders, this is a source of great strain, a source of great stress. Sure, having diversity on your team will make for a colorful group a kaleidoscope of great ideas, a varied number of strengths, but that advantage comes as a coin. That is, it has two sides. And that other side is what we're talking about today. How to manage the consequence of leading different people without breaking down yourself. 
So yeah, you guessed it. We're talking about self-care. Self-care for people managers and leaders. I include moms because stay-at-home moms function as leaders or managers just to keep the team running and keep the house functioning as your unit. So in however way you listen to this and your mom include all your duties as well because this also refers to you. The analogy we're using here is the principle of putting on your mask first before helping anyone else. You know that thing they tell you as part of the emergency run through before your flight takes off. In the event of an emergency, an oxygen mask will drop into your lap. Ensure you put on your mask first before you attempt to help anyone, even your own child. Now, as parents, this may seem to be the most selfish thing ever. Your natural inclination is to put your children first. Parents will walk over coals, you crawl under a car, you fight Godzilla to save your child. But somehow, this flight attendant is telling you that if this plane goes down, before you even think of putting on your three-year-old's oxygen mask, that you have to put yours on first. The emotional side of this is nuts, but the logical side of it is simple. Only when you're alive and breathing can you save another soul, no matter who that soul is. If you're short of oxygen, you're not going to be alive long enough to prove your love and parental instinct to save your child. So self-care is first. It is important and it should be given its rightful place. This reminds me of a tale of a certain prophet and a widow, right? So let me just quickly get into it. There's a famine in the land, the story goes, and there's no food anywhere. This widow is out and about in the fields to scavenge the barren and cracked earth. She's not looking for food, no, because there is no food. She's looking for two sticks. That is, the famine is so bad that even sticks are scarce. She's looking for some wood to cook a handful of flour that she has at home for herself and her little boy. She's better off than most of her neighbors because she has this handful of flour. But these two sticks to put together and make a fire is such a scarce commodity because even the trees have been consumed in this fire, in this famine. So now she's looking for these two sticks. Here comes a prophet, right? Scraggly beard, cracked heels, I imagine, a turban on his head and face to protect him from the fierce heat, made even fiercer by the farming and the lack of trees. So this prophet, everyone knows him. He's the most powerful person in the kingdom. Even the king fears him. But for all his power, this prophet is subject to hunger and sleep just like every other mortal. So he sees this woman and he calls out to her to bring him some water from her home. She says, okay, and heads homeward to get him some water. It's not like she has a lot of water to spare, seeing as it has not rained a drop of water in three years. But you know, one has to live a life of sacrifice, you know, sometimes. Besides, he's a prophet, yeah? So she turns around to go get him some water. Now, before she's out of earshot, this prophet says, Okay, um, while you're there, bring me a morsel of bread. Now, she stops in her tracks because this is asking too much. Remember, she has only one scoop, a literal handful of flour. And she's looking for two sticks to bake this flour into bread or pancake or something. This meal, which is hardly enough for two people, is now suddenly to be shared amongst three. So she says to him, she says, the prophet, the only food I have is a handful of flour and I'm looking for two sticks to bake it so me and my son can eat and then die. Essentially, she is saying, this is their last meal. 
afterwards, they have nothing to eat. So they're just going to wait for death to come and get them. She probably has a few neighbors that are starved to death at this stage. So, you know, that's how severe this famine is. Now, this is where the story gets interesting, at least for me, because instead of sympathizing with her or even say like attempt to multiply the bread with his powerful words, you know, because he's a prophet with magical powers. In fact, I didn't mention, but the only reason this famine exists is because he simply said there'd be no rain for three years and boom, there's no rain. So instead of this powerful prophet to multiply this woman's bread or call manna down from heaven or ask an angel to bring, you know, something, something supernatural, he says, Madam, go and bring me that handful of bread. Let me eat it first because the flour and oil in your house will not cease. It may not hit you, the ramifications, as it hits me. Because, boss, they said the flour is one handful remaining, literally. The sticks to bake them are not even available. And it won't be enough for herself and her son. But now you, the cause of the famine, a grown man wants to eat the bread first. You see, it is the first for me. Bake the bread, yes, but bring for me first. It's just the, it's the audacity, like, who are you and what made you the owner of the only bread I have left in my house to feed my child? Because let's face it, this mom is probably not going to eat anything out of this bread. She's going to give everything to her child, as moms often do. A typical mom feeds her child first and then looks around to see if there's scraps she can feed on. Now here comes this prophet and he's asking to be fed first, in a farming, no less, in a farming that he cost. Now, if this was our day, we'd crucify this prophet and we should. But like most biblical tales, this can be taken and interpreted as the metaphor it was intended as. That the person with the highest power and responsibility must first be taken care of so that the rest of the people that depend on him or her can also be sustained. In this metaphor, you, the leader of the company, the community, the household, the CEO, the manager of people, you need to be full of food and good health sufficiently because it is out of that state of health that you are drawing emotional, physical, and mental energy to feed and tend to your people. Now, this is not me saying that politicians should be fed first or the president of a nation should hog all the resources, but let me be clear. As a leader, as a people manager, you are the servant. In truth, you serve people as a leader. You cater to their needs. Their needs for better infrastructure and amenities if you're in government. Their needs for job satisfaction and salaries paid on time if you're an employer. Their needs of well-being and happiness if you're a parent. Think of it as a garden. Like, as a gardener, you know the garden is not going to tend itself. You occupy the prestigious position of the landowner, the gardener, the owner of a fruitful patch of land, bearing green trees and fruits. You may even own an orchard and get to sell the produce and be rich from it. But man, the one thing you cannot get away from is that you are a servant of that garden, that orchard. You serve the plants, you weed them, you are at their service, you mulch them, trim them, you're vigilant against pests and diseases, you stand guard day and night to ensure the garden is in optimal sheep shape. You are the servant as a leader. So people are your garden. As CEOs, as people managers, as leaders. And so just as how that garden de demands your attention and constant care, you are responsible for the people under your care. Sure, they have responsibilities and duties to the organization in which they work. 
you know, show up on time, contribute to the teamwork, do their work with minimal supervision, and generally contribute to the well-being and profitability of the company. But the one thing you have to do that they don't is that you realize that the box stops on your desk. That level of responsibility comes with stress. The stress of managing conflict, of motivating the team, of creating a harmonious team dynamic, of using the carrot and the stick in the right proportion, and of earning the respect of your team and your competitors. We have yet to speak of the dance you have to do to satisfy both the board and the stock market at the same time, the sponsors if you're an NGO. In summary, your job is not easy. To paraphrase O'Connell in A Few Good Men, you have a greater responsibility than anyone can possibly imagine. And if you do not take care, I have come to find, the needs of the leadership role you bear can consume you whole. So this is your clarion call and your reminder to be like the prophet. Put yourself first. And by that I mean put your self-care first. Prioritize your well-being so you can have a rich well of energy to draw from. I have highlighted two ways in which you can do that. One, food. This is an obvious one, but it needs to be said. If you're in the habit of skipping breakfast, reconsider. For most people managers, their day starts before 8 a.m. The moment you open your eyes, the calls, emails, messages come flooding in. In fact, they came flooding in before you went to bed last night. You just didn't check your messages. So when you wake up, the first thing you do for yourself, apart from meditation, prayer, exercise, which we will talk about in the next point, is to feed yourself. Do not skip breakfast. I understand that for some people, 8 a.m. is too early for a full breakfast. You're not hungry that early. You're not even hungry before noon. You're doing intermittent fasting and all that wonderful stuff. Here's the thing. Your body is not on the same page with all that. If your body needs to provide leadership at 8 a.m., it's going to need energy to do that. And when I say energy, I don't just mean physical energy. As a leader, the energy you most expand is your mental and emotional energy. It is your job to make decisions, often quick decisions that will have long-lasting consequences, good or bad. Your job may include some form of public speaking, that is motivating your team, doing some presentation to create buy-in, or try to sell the board on a new line of products. Whether you're giving a speech impromptu or you have to put down a few lines to rehearse, you're expending mental energy. You're expending emotional energy in reading the room, displaying emotional intelligence in being diplomatic, in seeing who is for you and not for the idea or vice versa. You are controlling your own emotions that naturally should react to some provocation from your toddler or from the competitor's ads that's on the airwaves now discrediting your work or even propagating a smear campaign against your company. As CEO, it is not often your physical energies that have the most demand. It is your emotional and mental energy. These two energies reside and or are controlled by your gut, your stomach, your digestive system, i.e. your second brain. If you do not have a calm stomach, I have come to find you cannot have a calm head. Trust me on this one. You can immediately see how true this is from how short-tempered and irritable you are when you have not eaten. Have you ever had a headache that went away because you ate some food? Yeah. You will learn that your stomach controls your head and not the other way around. The reason is largely due to the nature and needs of the human brain. Your brain weighs 
2% of your body, but needs more than 20% of the oxygen, the glucose, and the nutrients in your body. The rest of your organs and the billions of cells can make do with what's left after the brain has eaten. In essence, it is like the prophet from our story. If you do not feed the brain first, and I do mean first, then we are all going to have a hard time. Your staff, your team, your family, the people in traffic, your competitors, your, your customers, everybody and everything around you are going to be in the direct line of fire of that deficiency. So practical things to do, eat your breakfast before you get into the office. Why? Because for one, you can be called into a meeting that was meant to take 10 minutes and now it's one hour and you can't think straight or even contribute efficiently to anything that's been said. Your survival mode always is activated by your hunger and now you need food. So eat a meal no matter how small. For me, it's one boiled egg and a small cup of quicker oats. The oats may or may not have milk and may or may not have some sweetener like honey. I may take it plain, but I make sure to have that eaten. One boiled egg and one small cup of quicker oats before I step out of the house. Another great option is that I take half a lemon squeezed into a mug of hot water with a tablespoon of natural honey. See, if you're willing to try this mixture, you will find that even by noon, you are not stuck raving mad with hunger. Somehow, honey in warm lemon water just works like an energy booster for me. It's like a drip when you are dehydrated. For some people, the citrus and the lemon makes them hungry. So if this is you, find a better alternative. You can have a full breakfast or you can have a small breakfast, but you must have some breakfast before you step into the office. Why? Again, because you are leading people. You are not only a member of a team, you are the head of that team. As people are planning their day, as they are taking their shower, planning their work duties for the day, you as a team lead feature in their plans. They have assigned tasks, questions, assignments for you to comment on, provide them leadership on, make decisions on, authorize and sign off on. So the moment you step into the threshold of that company or organization, everything rushes at you simultaneously. The question starts hitting you left, right, center. Should, should we discontinue this line of product? It's not doing so well. We didn't get the license to start offering loans as a part of our fintech. What should be our next line of action? Should the board consider you know, sustainable expenditure for the next fiscal year. Your media assistant now wants to tell you about this new podcast and how it'd be good for your image and profile if you went on it. Someone wants to tell you about something that's trending on Twitter that you need to see. Something is not trending on Twitter that you need to see. The news of the day from, you know, global news, regional news has been summarized and left on your desk for you by your PA to read. The office building might need a new facelift. Here comes a HR manager saying there's a HR issue with parental lead. Your parental leave that needs your decision. Then, like, the finance manager comes in. What's the company finance going to look like if the Russian-Ukraine war persists? There's a, there's a report on your desk you have to read. Inflation is climbing. Financial projections might be taking a beating. You need to recalibrate. Look, the list is endless. The decision's endless. The demand for your attention, relentless. Try doing all of this on an empty stomach. You can't. Your logical mind might think it is possible, and it may be, but your leadership role is not a sprint. It is a marathon. You need staying power, not only for today or this week. You need staying power for this day, this week, this month, next month, six months down the line, next year, five years, ten years. 
you need staying power longer than you realize. The easiest practical thing you can do for yourself is eat before you enter that office. Then at 11 a.m. or at noon, you can have a full breakfast or brunch, or you can have a more robust lunch, but do not skip breakfast. Still on food, the second best thing you can do for yourself is have a liter of water on your desk as you sit down to do the day's work. Keep some water on your desk and sip it intermittently. Your body being 70% water needs hydration. I make sure to drink a liter for the day that is between 8.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. There are other sources of water from my meals of the day, you know, like teas, juices, some water in the oats I had for breakfast, some water in the soup or bone meal for lunch, the water I had for dinner. All of this adds up to keep my kidneys happy and my cells plump. But you see that one liter of water, it is always on my desk. In a glass, in a bottle, how do you measure that? Now, if you know your glass is 200 cl, you just have to have like five of them from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. I try to keep it at room temperature when the weather is not too warm. When it is and I'm thirsty, I take it cold. But more often than not, it's room temperature. Some days I take it warm, actually, like hot, warm water. Warm water, you may frown at, but once you get used to it, it becomes second nature. It is soothing to my stomach in a way I cannot explain. If I'm having stress or anxiety from the day's work, I either get some hot water from the water dispenser and sip on it plain, or I just dunk a tea bag in it and sip that. You know, unfortunately, my struggle with drinking green tea continues, so no, I don't drink green tea, but I just put um, Lipton Yellow Label tea bag in the hot water, put it on a teacup, on a saucer, sip it gently. It works for me. So whichever way you want to do this, warm or room temperature, cold or chilled water with a slice of lemon, just have a liter of water on your desk within arm's length that you drink daily from the start of your work day to the end of that day. You will find after a while that you start drinking 1.5 liters or even two. The benefits of drinking more water is seen in your skin, yes. But I'm more concerned. I'm just talking about body regulation. It keeps your blood pressure at the right measurements. It regulates your bowels. Your cognitive functions don't dip because you are thirsty. And if, you, if you, you are someone that drinks green tea, you have more health benefits. So it, and also it helps with anxiety. So win-win on all ends. Finally, on this point about food, Make sure to take your supplements, if you take supplements, that is. If not, I suggest you talk to a qualified medical professional about it before you go to buy. Most supplements can be, in the words of Sheldon Cooper, ingredients of very expensive urine, <laughs> meaning that you get to spend a lot of money on something that gives minimal value. But I would encourage you get medical opinion on it before you get your supplements. I did that, and the basic ones I want to talk about that I take and they work for me is iron and vitamin C. I'm not advocating you take that just from listening to this podcast. You should consult a medical professional because I'm not one, but I'm just telling you what works for me. Iron and vitamin C is important, specifically for women. Women of working age, um, they lose a good amount of blood during their periods monthly, so it has, although it has come to be accepted by medical science that it's normal for a woman to have less blood than a man, in, it is an anomaly. More medical um, research is coming to find. So you should be looking to replenish your blood monthly. Once you realize the 
truth behind the words, the life of the flesh is in the blood. You start policing your meals like a security agent. So what I'm trying to say is that in a week, your meals should include iron-rich ingredients at least three times a week. Iron-rich things like liver if you're a meat eater and lentils if you're a vegetarian. There are plenty of vegetables that are plum-rich with iron. You have to check in your area, in your locality. I'm sure you'll find something. In Nigeria, we have a leaf called ugu. We put that in soups. We have something else called hospital too far. <laughs> yes, um, hospital too far. As the name suggests, hospital too far leaf is suggestive of emergency first aid, i.e. the hospital is too far. But if we have this leaf and we eat it or give it to someone in need of iron, they'll be fine before we see a medical doctor. That's why it's called hospital too far. But essentially, it's just an iron-rich vegetable. If you have a patch of land long-term, if you have a patch of land, I would advise you seek out the leaves and vegetables in your locality that are iron-rich and plant them because this is long-term. This is something that you're going to incorporate into your daily meals. If you cannot do that, buy them at a farmer's market and incorporate them into your meals. Two things you have to note. Iron can be hard on the stomach, especially if you take them from vegetables cooked, uncooked or juiced raw. So make sure to cook them briefly so the cellulose in them is um, digestible. I know someone who boils her moringa for two minutes and then runs it through a blender to create green juice. She doesn't take it raw, and neither should you, especially if you're just starting out new with juicing raw. So don't let the term juicing phase you. You can cook your iron-rich vegetables and they'll still work. They are better semi-cooked for sure, but for beginners, just as you will not eat, your, eat raw liver, eat your iron vegetables cooked and then make sure to eat oranges lemon or any other source of vitamin c you can take the vitamin c supplements but preferably just get oranges and eat them eat them with the pulp don't throw the flesh of oranges away they're a good source of fiber if you're not a fan of oranges try tangerines or berries find a natural fruit that you like that has a natural occurring vitamin c why is vitamin C important? Your body needs it in the absorption of the iron that you're ingesting. So to summarize this point on food, eat before you get into the office. Eat again at 11 a.m. or at noon. Eat a fuller meal in the early afternoon or just a very good brunch. Thirdly, have a liter of water on your desk to sip at between the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. or whatever constitutes your own work time. And finally, take your supplements. Make sure you talk to your doctor to see which supplements you should be taking. Should you be taking omega-3, cod liver oil, some zinc? For women of menstrual age, you need to replenish the iron you lose monthly. So talk to your doctor about that. For expectant mothers and or nursing mothers, your need for iron is even greater because the brain and the nervous system of your child needs a lot of iron for full development. You, you're told this in antenatal and postnatal classes, but just this is just a reminder. Take your iron from natural sources and put them in your weekly meals at least three times daily. To boost your iron absorption, take your vitamin C in a fruit or in a vegetable that you like. There's no need to juice if you hate juicing. My rule on food is this. If you hate it, don't eat it. Just find something else that has the nutrient you want and eat that. If you hate vegetables find fruits. If you hate oranges but love blueberries, then eat blueberries. 
But by all means, replenish your iron stores and have some vitamin C with it for better absorption. I emphasize iron because it's important for cognitive function for both men and women. I am only emphasizing the need in women because of the obvious. If you have been placed on other medication like blood pressure medication that you need to take daily, please ensure you take your medication and on time. If you need insulin shots, if you need to put your eye drops at certain hours, if you need to watch your sugar, take all the precautions you need medically. As a people manager, it is important that you carry out an annual medical exam on yourself in the same way you would take your car to the mechanic for regular oil change and checkups. Understandably, we're scared the doctors may find something, so we avoid going. But what's the option? To wait until our bodies break down and then be given the news that our sugar level is elevated, that our cholesterol is high, that we have an ulcer. That's not the best. If we pay attention to our health regularly, we'll be much better equipped to course correct before it becomes a medical issue. So be the leader of your fears and don't ignore your symptoms. Often it's just stress related and you need to take a few days off to rest. But if you suddenly have symptoms that you didn't have before, like if, if you suddenly have tingling in your hands and feet, for instance, and, and that wasn't there before, do not ignore it because you have a full caseload at work. Oh, I'll do it later. I'm busy now. I have a deadline. I have a hard deadline. I have a report. The sad truth about putting your work before your health is that the moment you fall sick and cannot continue for the foreseeable future, you will be replaced. Yes, not because people are mean, maybe they are, but the cold hard truth, the cold hard truth is that life and business needs to go on. An asteroid could hit the earth today and wipe everybody on the planet out except two people. Those two people would mourn for all of two seconds before their brains kick into gear. They start thinking, how do we survive this? How do we move on? The human brain's remarkable ability to move on and survive is impressive, but also cold. If you gamble your health against that survival instinct, you're going to lose every time, so don't try it. Keep your doctor's appointment. Join a gym. Take your medication on time. Find a group of hikers and go hiking twice a month or once. If you can, hire a nutritionist. Prioritize your meal. Take a firm look at the food you eat daily. Do you have anything fermented on your menu? You need probiotics and controlled fermentation food. Fermented food is good for that purpose. How iron-rich, how fiber-rich are your foods? Are you eating more natural sugars, pineapples, bananas, sweet potatoes, sugar cane? Root vegetables are superb for simultaneously providing the fiber and the natural sugars you need for a healthy stomach, a healthy gut. So are you getting the sun that you need? Vitamin D from the sun cannot be compared to anything you can eat. Are you eating the right fats? Are you eating at the right proportion? Are you chewing your food right? You need to take care how you eat and take care of yourself. Food is your body's energy. If you won't put dirty fuel in your car, do not put dirty fuel in your body. Be the prophet from our tale earlier. Feed yourself first so you can be alive long enough to carry out your responsibilities in managing people. I think I've talked long enough on food, so we're going to go to the second point. And that is, 
take your brain on a walk. Now, how do I mean by that? In the first point, we described your brain as a prophet that demands to be fed first before every other organ in your body. Now, in this point, the metaphor we're using is a pet, specifically a dog. If you have a dog, you know that one of the best things you can do for it is to take it on daily walks. Not only because you don't want it to pee and poo in the house, but because a dog loves a walk more than it loves food. Yeah. If you lock up a dog in a cage, you're either mean or you're mean. <laughs> a dog, however miniature or huge, needs to be taken on a walk twice a day. Once a week, you might have to take it on a long hike, but it needs to be walked daily for optimal canine health. Now, like that dog, your brain loves to wander. I mean, wander like a fugitive. It's important to overstate how much your brain loves to move around, to wander, to explore, to dart from subject to subject, to examine this idea, recalibrate this scenario, provide alternate endings to films, relieve an argument, see how you could have had the last word. You know, you lie down in bed at, bed at night and all you did during the day rushes at you. You listen to a song on the way home. Now it won't leave your brain alone. You think of the past, you think of the future. You think of the possible past, you think of the possible future and you even think of life on other planets. Look, your mind is a wanderer and it is not created to sit still in one place. That's why if you have ever attempted to sit still and meditate, your mind immediately gets up and leaves you there. <laughs> one minute you're trying to do what you saw on the YouTube channel and focus on your breath. The next you're thinking of Nicolas Cage in Face Off and how unrealistic some of the scenes are. You try again to refocus and bring your attention back to the present moment. As a YouTube video said, now your mind has gone to yesterday's conversation with the neighbor. Did he really, did his wife really go off to find herself or is he lying about their possible separation? You analyze that. Then you realize, oh, I veered off track again. And then you try again to refocus your mind to your breath. Now you're thinking of how uneven the breath even is, the breath itself. How you're, maybe you're not even doing this meditation thing right and then you just give up. All this you are doing, why is everybody go chop breakfast, is ringing at the back of your internal ear. Look. Meditation is not your mind's favorite activity. Your mind seems to want to escape the present moment all the time. It finds the past and the future more exciting. The crazy thing is, the present moment is where life happens. The future you keep thinking about. When you arrive there, is always going to be today and is always going to be now. The only time that truly exists is now. There is no tomorrow. There is no yesterday. There's only your mind's interpretation of how it perceives time. Time is not linear. All of eternity exists now and you are only experiencing portions of it in the now. This is a deep conversation we might explore in future podcasts. It is quantum physics and at the same time a mystical phenomenon. But its practicality for your daily duties as a leader is this. If you cannot focus your mind on the present moment, you have failed as a leader and as a person, but more as a leader. Why is that? As a leader, you're drawing from a well. We have already established that a rich resource that a follower doesn't have to draw from. They can, but they don't have to. 
you need to access that side of yourself that is eternal, that was never born, that never dies, that has all the answers you need, all the wealth, all the strength, and all the wisdom that you need. Why? Because you have a greater responsibility. And that responsibility demands that you need to access your divinity. You need more than others because you are leading people. You need to discern what people need before they say it, while they are saying it, and after they say it. What people say, if you live long enough, you realize it's not what they mean. We are masters, human beings. We are masters of cloaking our real intentions with dark words. So not only that, you need to be able to access future information before it becomes today's mainstream news. So how do you do that? You could try fortune telling, but that's a waste of your time. And it renders you vulnerable to charlatans and people that will fleece you clean of your money. So the only entity that has access to past and present information is the depth of your mind, where your eternal self resides. That, essentially, is why your mind was designed to wander off in the past and in the future. It needs to be able to draw on information that's not readily available to your logic. So if you can just train the mind, if you know its particular or peculiar rules, life will become easier. Your job as a leader will become easier. So there are many things to cover in this regard, but I'll just touch on two things. A, if your mind was designed to wander as a wanderer, you should let it wander. I know, I know. Look, all the gurus are telling you to bring the mind home and to control it, keep it in the present moment, and they are right. We'll talk about that in a little while. But that will be like crippling a flying horse if you're doing that all the time. Remember, remember Pegasus from Clash of the Titans, the flying horse, right? Unlike regular horses, Pegasus has wings. If you concentrate only on training Pegasus like a normal horse and ignore its wings, you're going to end up with a normal pedestrian horse. Sure, it can draw carriages. It has enormous strength like any other thoroughbred terrestrial horse. But your horse, your Pegasus has wings and you should use its wings. So it should be allowed to fly often. Likewise, your mind as Pegasus is designed to fly off into corners of history and time that you cannot even begin to fathom. If you cripple it by always restricting its movement during meditation, then you will lose. And the wings the incredible powers of your mind will atrophy. You should have two different kinds of meditation sessions. One in which you train the mind to remain in the present moment by constantly bringing your attention back to your breath. And the other, my personal favorite, where you sit down in a slightly dark and quiet room where you won't be disturbed and you make yourself comfortable. Wear clothes that are loose and comfortable, preferably cotton because it's breathable. Settle in a nice chair. Do not lie down because you will fall asleep. Just sit up and then mentally say to yourself, okay, my mind, do your thing. You're free to roam. Now, this may seem cheesy and all, but the more you develop the habit of letting your mind roam on command, essentially you become a fuller, more insightful person because you get access to lots and lots of beneficial information after your mind has done um, it's roaming, it's, it's, um, it's heat-seeking um, information search. You may not come out of the first session with deep insights, you know, in how the 
pyramids were built and where Solomon's gold is buried. However, your mind, happy to be free, will reward you with the best of information at the very moment you need it, during your daily duties, in dreams, or in telepathic communication. This may seem weird to you now, but trust me, this is the most normal thing in the world. If you lived in the time of the pharaohs, communication across distances was not done with cell phones. The mind, like a bird, took and brought information in what we might call downloads and in very clear purity. So the mind is your friend, and its wandering ability is by design. It was given to you by the eternal divine as a heat-seeking missile. It goes and it brings you what you need from far distances, in the now, in the past, and in the future. I may be speaking Greek to you on this point, and you may think your job as a leader or a manager of people or as a mom doesn't require such deep mental Google searches. I wouldn't try to convince you otherwise. Just know that you just function better if you engage your mind. So learn her rules and apply them. That's all I'm saying here. The second rule of the mind is the opposite of what I just said. Yeah, I know. I just told you that the mind is a wanderer, a heat-seeking missile, and it needs to be set free to roam different sections of time for information that's relevant to your current well-being. Yes, that's 100% true. But at the same time, like a pet dog, your mind cannot wander forever. It needs to rest. It needs to be at peace. An overworked mind sends you to the hospital. There is such a thing called mental exhaustion. And that comes from too much decision taking, too much cognitive analytic thinking, too much mental energy being expended. So how do you rest your mind? By meditating the way the gurus advocate, keeping the mind in the present moment. If this sounds too self-contradictory for you, let me simplify it. All you need to remember is this. If your mind wanders into the past and the future, it is working in full gear. If it is centered and focused on the present moment, it is at rest. That's all. So that's a good thing to remember. Also, you have to know this. It is best to keep your mind on the activities of the day that you do while you are doing them. I.e. if you are walking on the street, let your mind focus on the street you are walking on. If you are typing, let your mind focus on the movement of your hands on the keyboard. Focus your mind on the physical activity of the day while you are doing them. That's the best way to rest your mind, to focus the mind, to meditate. If you allow your mind to wander from one activity to the next while you are doing one thing, it becomes increasingly difficult to sit down and attempt to focus your mind on the present moment during your quiet time of meditation. So that's why you have that, that conflict. When you sit down to meditate, your mind wants to run. It's because it's used to doing that, but not it's used to roaming and it's used to not being the present moment. Remember I said you must have two kinds of meditation sessions. One in which you let the mind roam on command and another in which you gently focus it on something in the present moment. So this is important so that your mind does not associate meditation with restriction and control. The main reason people avoid meditation is because the mind hates it. It knows that when you want to sit down and meditate that you're targeting it and that you are going to restrict it from its favorite activity of roaming. So give it what it wants from time to time. Sit quietly and let it roam, say once a week. Then for the rest of the week, 
gently focus it on the activities of the day that you do while you do them. This will create the much needed balance and your mind won't fight you every time you want to meditate. Now, meditation is not something you have to learn to do. You've been doing it your whole life. You just don't think of it as meditation. It's just that the image that comes to your mind when you hear meditation is, oh, you have to sit on a yoga mat and you have to assume the lotus position and keep your thoughts centered on your breath or the point between your eyes. In essence, yes, you're not wrong. That is meditation. But to the unpracticed, to the novice, this form of medication, meditation, sorry, this form of meditation can be an idle form of torture. <laughs> you don't need to do that to start. You don't need to learn to meditate. You already do it daily, but you're doing it wrongly. It's called worry. That's what I mean. When you worry about something, you are incorrectly focused on something to the point where you give yourself anxiety, fear, and sometimes depression. Worry is the most common form of meditation people do. They worry when they rise in the morning, when they shower and get ready for the day, in traffic, at work, in the supermarket, in the bookstore, at a party with friends, back home from picking the kids from a play date while they eat dinner, and finally after they shower and get into bed. Your mind focused incessantly on one thing is meditation. So you can go through your whole day focused on one little concern or the positiveness of everything that's happening in your life, a big event that's coming up, how you might prepare for your um, next career move. But if you're worrying, that's also meditation, but unfortunately not a positive form of meditation. So the best way I have found to meditate is to sit down quietly in a comfortable position when I want to focus my mind is sit down comfortably. No lotus position, no yoga mat. I just sit like say on a cushy rug or reclining on a soft sofa and I physically relax. I just sit still and I don't move a muscle. I don't do anything. I assume the mental state of the Italian philosophy of dolce far niente, which is translated the sweetness of doing nothing. This means that I don't need to be anywhere in a hurry. I don't need to do anything now to analyze anything in my mind. There's nothing to figure out. There's no decision to be made. There's no finance issue to handle. No work thing to do. No food to eat. No bodily functions to carry out. Nothing to do except just breathe and rest in the comfy position I have taken. Then to still my mind, I listen to the silence around me. I just casually let my attention listen to the quietness around me. If you want to do this, if you want to give this a try, do what I do. Do it on the weekends. After you wake up and you have peed, it's important, the peeing part, because if you're pressed, then your attention is going to be diverted. So after you wake up and you have peed, in that quiet silence that comes with most mornings, just sit quietly and comfortably and listen to the silence. If a cricket chirps, listen to it. If a frog croaks in the distance, listen to that. If the soft drizzle of the rain grazes the roof of the house, listen to it. If a car passes as your neighbor heads out early, notice the sound of the car on the tarmac. If there's a call to prayer in the far distance, listen to that. If the sound of your spouse or your roommate as they move around in the house comes up, gently listen to that as well. Do not attempt to focus your mind on your breath just yet because your mind 
with its sweet tooth for freedom and nomadic movement will struggle against you. Just listen to the silence around you for 15 minutes. This relaxes you and before long, your breath becomes even slower. You have no difficulty slowing down your brain waves. The brain waves that love frantic activity. And somehow, without even knowing, you slip into that meditative state that you need to access your inner power. So listen to the silence. For silence, said Rumi, is the language of God. All else is poor translation, end quote. So sit and listen to the silence. If any sound interrupts it, listen to that sound and watch it fade. The only thing that remains you will discover, the only thing that endures is the silence. The chirps of the birds, the frog's song, the car driving off, the rush, the flushing of the toilet by your roommate, the hum of the fridge, all this rise and fall like waves of the sea. They wax, they wane, and they disappear. The only thing that endures is the silence. If you tune your mind to listen to the silence and you have the discipline to do it regularly, three times a week, you know, like going to the gym, before the end of a month, a subtle change begins to take place in you. You may be the last to notice it, but your co-workers, your team, the board, the people you manage, they begin to notice a, a certain serenity about you. They feel comfortable in your presence. You draw them in long enough to notice where they need help where your leadership is best deployed and where delegation is the solution to the issue at hand. You become more fine-tuned, like a musical instrument that has been tuned to the right frequency. Things, good things, begin to happen of their own accord and conflict fades away. It is difficult to oversell the benefits of meditation, so you should make a firm decision to commit to it as a self-care practice in your pursuit of excellence and life's work. If you have big dreams to achieve in your career, your family life, and in your personal life, committing to a practice of meditation is essential. The easiest way I have found that works for me is to sit quietly, like I said. Don't move a muscle, not because you are tense, but just be still. Be comfortable as you sit and listen to the silence. I slip into the meditative state gently in this way and quickly. Before I know it, one hour has passed and I'm fully refreshed. My mind is at peace and the serenity I need to handle the week ahead comes. The biggest benefit of listening to the silence is that you suddenly are more attuned to your internal power. Your intuition becomes stronger. Your inner knowing, that unshakable confidence in yourself becomes prominent and you know you can handle all things. You know things will turn out okay even when they seem to be heading downhill. Lastly, to rest the mind in the present moment, this is what you do all day as you lead and manage people. When you are in a meeting, be in that meeting. When you are having a conversation with a colleague, do not let your mind wander off and think of what you want to eat for dinner. If you have to write a report, focus on the report that you're doing. Do not think of the social media trending topics of the day while you're tying up the last bits of your report. At first, you will find this hard, but the simple trick is this. If your mind starts going off in the middle of your work activities, immediately fold your toes in your shoes. Yes, fold your toes in your shoes. If you're seated at your desk, remove your feet from your shoes and plant them on the ground. You see, feeling is a shortcut to being in the present moment. When your mind wanders, you often don't feel your body. 
So in centering one part of your body to connect with your present environment, you immediately pull your mind gently into the present moment. In that way, you are giving your mind rest. Something I learned from experience, if you approach your mind as an enemy to be conquered, as this thing that you have to force and drag to be in the present moment or to focus on your breath and all that forceful thing that comes with some of the teaching or meditation, you are taking essentially a combative stance when approaching your mind. And you have to know if no one has ever told you that your mind is a mirror. If you approach a mirror with a frown, it will frown back at you. If you approach meditation as a technique to force your mind and control it, you're going to lose the battle, the war, and the nuclear war. The mind is smarter than you think. If you think your mind is 5 billion times smarter than smart, you are underestimating it. It's even smarter than that. Your mind knows in advance that you're planning to force it into meditation at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Remember, it can access the future and the past. And it sees your intention to force it into submission, to wrestle it to the ground. So it's already prepared to oppose you before you get there. Your attitude towards your mind should be how you approach a child. Gently, soft and without effort. The best way I have found to do that is just to anchor your body to your present environment while you're busy with your day's work. This works all the time because your body is always in the present moment. It is always in the now. In touching your physical environment, you immediately call your mind from the far corners of the future and the past into the present. Think of it as whistling for your dog to come. The dog may be far off down the road, but when you whistle, he comes running to you. So your habit of letting your mind wander while you go through the day should be deliberate. You should be able to let your mind access different parts of time, past, future. But also, you should be able to rest it by focusing on the present moment. In so doing, you achieve a much-needed balance that escapes other CEOs and leaders. You allow your mind to roam free on demand and do its thing. And then you rest it as you would a horse in the present moment. Once your mind is focused on the present moment, it is at peace. It is calm. It does no work. You know why? Because at that point, a being more superior than the mind takes over. And that being is your awareness, your consciousness, the source of all things. The being that religions call God. God is and only is. God's not going to be nor was. God, awareness, consciousness, the universe, lives in eternity. And eternity is now. You remember we said that time is not linear but cyclical, that all of time exists now, that the thing that we call eternity is always now. Imagine eternity, if you would, as a, as a circle. What you experience and call time is a point on the space. It's, it's a point in space on the circumference of that circle. So imagine a circle, right? So you draw a circle and what you're experiencing now as you're listening to this is a point in space on the circumference of that circle. But all of that circle, all of this circumference exists now at once, simultaneously. So the best way to enjoy your life, to rest your mind and function at your optimum capacity is to anchor your body to the present moment and be aware of your surroundings. Plant your feet on the ground and feel the ground beneath you. Touch a surface and feel how rough or smooth it is. Focus on your skin. 
the skin, maybe at the back of your hands. You know, see how your nails and knuckles are designed. If you're in a meeting, focus on the person talking. If you're giving a presentation, notice how warm or cool the room is. If you're speaking to someone, notice the sound of your voice or the person's voice while talking. I have tried to make this as practical as possible for you to use in your daily lives. As leaders, if you have one person, like you don't even need to have a whole team. If you have just one person that you're responsible for, a child, a team member, a colleague, if you run a company, a community, or even a country, managing people is challenging because of our individuality and difference of opinions. You need a different way of using energy than the normal person who doesn't have to lead or manage people doesn't need. So often you need access to better energy, easier way to access the flow state. You need better solutions, more refined decision making. You cannot do this without the right kind of food for your body and the right way to use your mind for mental energies. That is the summary of today's podcast. I hope you found this useful. We've come to the end of the podcast. I hope you found this useful and I hope you can pick one thing from this that can be beneficial in your role of managing people, in your role as CEOs, in your role as a mom, as a leader, as a parent. Okay, so I wish you a lovely week ahead. Go out safe and return safe. Be well. May all your ducks line up this week in a row. May help and people arise for you in places where you least expect. And may all your efforts be crowned with success, even better than you imagine. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me. Thank you and be well. I am Kutu and this is Small Talk with Kutu.